You're listening to the Scotiabank Market Points Podcast. I'm your host, Greg White. Market Points is part of the Knowledge Capital series, a collection of audio, video, and written commentary from Scotiabank Global Banking and Markets leaders designed to provide you with timely insights and analysis. Sustainable finance is on the rise. Corporations and investors have recognized the connection between sustainable practices and projects and overall global economic health. And the market has responded with financial instruments specifically created to support sustainable initiatives. Fanny Dusset and Jason Taylor are both directors leading the efforts of Scotiabank's newly created Sustainable Finance Group. In this episode of Market Points, I sit down with Fanny and Jason to better understand the framework for sustainable finance and to discuss the important factors affecting its future. Hi, Fanny and Jason. Thank you very much uh, to both of you for joining us on the podcast. Thanks, Greg. It's it's really exciting to be here with you. Yeah, same here. Share share the same excitement. It's nice to chat together on on these topics. Looking forward to it. Wonderful. Let's jump right in then. Jason, uh, for some of our listeners that may not be as familiar with sustainable finance, uh, perhaps you can start us off with a discussion about what actually defines sustainable finance and then walk us through some of the factors that have been contributing to the sector's uh, recent growth. Yeah, sure, would would love to. So I think a good place to start is just to to talk a little bit about the various acronyms that are out there that have been potentially have caused some confusion with people in the market. And oftentimes they appear uh, related, but in, when in reality they often have uh, important distinctions. So ICMA, which is the International Capital Markets Association, which has been overseeing a lot of the governance in the sustainability market, has has recently published some guidance just to help clarify some of the areas, just so that people uh, are able to to understand some of the nuances between, for example, sustainable finance, ESG integration, or th- areas such as social finance. So. Um, in this particular case here, sustainable finance it can be defined a couple of ways, but one really the way we view it is uh, funding that's uh, policy aligned. So um, definitely funding that's uh, aligned either to the Paris Agreement, its two-degree scenario, or the United uh, United Nations Sustainable Development Goals Um and also would probably add that um, it, it would be overseen and governed by ICMA's uh, evolving sustainability principles, whether we consider green bond principles, social sustainability or KPI linked principles they recently launched uh, this past year. Um, it, you know, if we if we bring that definition into a local context here, the Canadian Expert Panel on Sustainable Finance uh, defined it uh, uh, as um, capital flows, risk management activities, and financial processes that assimilate environmental and social factors as a means of promoting sustainable economic growth and the long-term stability of the financial system. So uh, with that said, uh, I think that sets the table uh, or a backdrop uh, to, to sort of add some context around the discussion. And, you know, I'd be happy to migrate into the growth and the assets under management. Um, the short answer is many, many drivers are affecting this growth. Uh, it really feels like the market's achieved an inflection point. Dialogue uh, in the community is is becoming uh, more centered around mainstreaming. I think, you know, if I'd had to, to isolate a couple of them that are sort of uh, responsible for um, a larger part of the of the story it would have definitely have to be the evolving uh, dynamics of climate change risk and opportunity uh, long-held uh, view that it was uh, long-term risk and 
with the increasing frequency of extreme uh, weather events and some of the transition risk is accelerating, uh, it's definitely um, um, it raised a lot of eyebrows in a sort of systemic way across capital markets. So, um, and then with that, obviously, uh, it's only natural to see government policy uh, follow this and adapt to some of these uh, larger uh, macro uh, themes that that they wrestle with on a on a day to day basis. So, uh, you know, we can just very quickly just look at the Green New Deal in Europe, or uh, even in the U.S. Uh, Joe Biden recently announced a very ambitious uh, environmental platform, just to name a couple of many. Uh, policy examples that are sort of driving this. Uh, I would say that the price of carbon in in Europe recently attained new highs. Um, we use that as a as a proxy for for policy and 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 the sort of acceleration of the entire industry. Um, and it's largely um, a function of uh, the two previous factors. Um, and then also, you know, if we look at some of the bottom up sort of uh, factors such as consumer demand and demographics, uh, these are also two really important factors that are. Um, sort of uh, nudging the market along. Um, consumers more and more are making voluntary decisions to change some of their consumption habits. And the easiest example for us to talk about or think about is, is the electric vehicle space. And uh, even in, in terms of, um, of some of the circular economy type of initiatives and recycling and things of that nature as people uh, attempt to reduce their own uh, environmental footprint. Uh, and then I'd say probably the fourth one, which uh, is also going to be something to, to keep an eye on here, is the evolving demographics, um, the famous uh, great um, generational wealth transfer that people uh, often refer to where boomers are expected to, to leg uh, a record level of uh, financial assets to, to their offspring. So, and, you know, to, this is a demographic cohort that's uh, very sensitive to, the, to these topics. So um, I'd say those are the four main reasons. There are other ones we could also discuss, but, um, you know, if we wrap all that together, uh, it's definitely would explain uh, the growth and the assets under management and how financial institutions are quickly pivoting and mobilizing around this area. There's been uh, tremendous new uncertainty injected into the economy, obviously, because of the pandemic. Um, Fanny, how has the COVID-19 pandemic uh, impacted the sustainable finance market? Yeah, sure. I, that's a really great question, and and obviously something that's that's really topical. We saw a, a few different things come out of of the COVID nineteen volatility. Um, I think looking back when when the volatility first hit at the end of February or or early March, um, companies and and entities became hyper focused on just how to get funding in the door and and kind of put aside what that funding looked like exactly and and how it was labeled. Um, so as a result of this, we did see a decrease in in, in labeled uh, sustainable finance issuance, um, especially. From, from companies or, or entities that, that didn't have um, platforms in place already to be able to, to issue uh, in the sustainable finance market. Um, they were very focused on how much, how, how much access they had to the capital markets and at what cost and getting that in the door. Um, so that resulted in, in really a slowdown of the pace of, of issuance in the sustainable finance market. That's the first time it's happened, um, I would say, since the creation of, of sustainable finance and since green bonds, for example, were first issued. So quite a notable change. However, I think on the back of that, what we've seen um, with the focus on, on COVID-19, the impact it's had on people's lives, the impact 
that it's had on economies globally is an increase in focus on on social factors. So historically, the sustainable finance market was really dominated um, by uh, by green issuance or focusing in on on the E part of, of ESG or in the environmental part of it. So for example, green bonds have historically consisted of about 70% of, of the sustainable finance market from, from a debt perspective. Um, so since the onset of, of COVID-19, we've seen a tremendous increase in social funding or, or bonds or loans that are raised uh, to finance um, projects that have a social benefit. Um, a lot of that has has come in the form of COVID-19 funding. Uh, so whether it's by uh, governments that are aiming to to fund their their stimulus packages that they're providing or supporting their economies or development banks that are are helping nations that might not have the ability to, to fund themselves throughout this this pandemic. Or we've seen even some uh, corporations like Pfizer did did a social bond where part of the proceeds was going to uh, fund the research and development around a vaccine for COVID-19. So a tremendous increase in, in, in social issuance. Focus on COVID-19, but I think in the future, it, it's really going to have an impact on, on how investors um, look at ESG. And again, not just focus on, on the environmental part, um, but increasing their, their focus on, on the social aspect as well. We had another interesting transaction uh, come to market yesterday. Uh, Toyota uh, Motor Company, they did, um, they were in the bond market in the US. Um, one of the tranches that they funded was a diversity and inclusion bond. Um, and so with that bond, they, uh, they had book runners um, that were uh, banks or dealers that were either minority or woman led dealers or banks. So something very novel. We don't see that often. Toyota had issued these types of bonds before, but I think it was a nod really to the political uh, environment that's going on, particularly in the U.S. Um, around diversity and inclusion. So I think going forward, that's also going to be um, a really big topic. Um, I think it's interesting overall to see how quickly the sustainable finance landscape um, is adapting um, to changes uh, to changes in to changes politically and and what people are really caring about. Um, it's really not taking long for new products to come out to to support new social causes, which I think is really positive to see. Fanny, do you think that there's a uh, intersectionality then between the environment and social elements? I do. I think um, you know, for example, when we think about having having to kind of rebuild um, from from this pandemic, I think there's a lot of discussions about, okay, how do we rebuild this correctly uh, from both an environmental and, and from a social perspective? Um, so I do agree with that. I think those are going to become more and more intertwined. Um, but again, just the focus not being squarely on the environment. Climate change is, is definitely a big topic, probably the biggest topic of of, of my generation and something that we we definitely need to fix, but not losing sight of, of everything else that we can be working on as well. So when it comes to all the various categories that sustainable finance can support, uh, Jason, how can investors be confident that um, the bond they are purchasing 
doesn't just have some sort of marketing label attached to it, but that the funds are going to the intended projects? Yeah, great. Thanks, Greg. And it's a great question. And if you don't mind, I'm just going to um, broaden out the topic and and uh, attach it and address it in parallel to sort of a greenwashing discussion. So, um, and definitely will address the bond level um, aspect of it more specifically. But I think, you know, generally speaking, I think, you know, we've all uh, seen a fair amount of headlines around uh, perceived greenwashing allegations really across the entire economy. So it's not necessarily only specific to the bond market, but there's been sort of greenwashing uh, incidences at various organizational levels. So, you know, at least in a capital markets context, it's something that here that we're, we're extremely sensitive to, um, mainly uh, from the per, from the view that we simply want to preserve the integrity of the market so that it's it can grow and prosper in a, in a really high quality and healthy way. Um, and it's really necessary if if the necessary capital we need to mobilize around these objectives um, is going to materialize over the coming years. So really, in order to do that, it's um, everybody has to work together to make sure that, you know, transactions and, and reps and claims made by any type of participant is really has legs to, to stand on and, and validate and support that. So um, as it relates to uh, the bond market more specifically, um, ICMA, again, has, has provided a lot of leadership and tools and guidance around ways that you know some of this uh, greenwashing may be mitigated. So in one of the green in one of the green bond principles, it requires uh, for mandatory annual use of proceeds reporting. But I think you know the market's evolved from meeting the minimum requirements and is pivoting towards more of a best-in-class model where companies and governments are really using everything at their disposal to to signal and communicate that they're committed to high standards. And one of the ways uh, that we're starting to see this area addressed is with voluntary proceeds and KPI reporting that, you know, issuers now are also uh, asking their, their auditors who are now developing carbon accounting budgeting uh, abilities as well to, to just sort of kick the tires and verify uh, some of the claims that are being made. And, and although it may seem uh, at, at the outset to be a bit of an administrative burden, but in reality, it's there's some quite a few synergies that that permit an issuer to extend this um, it, with relatively um, little effort, but that goes so far in the market in terms of creating um, and establishing that, that widely important trust. So um, with that said, though, I think, you know, ICMA has definitely take a, a, taken a continuous improvement mindset and every year in their annual general meeting, they're, they're always um, presenting and, and providing the market with new initiatives that really help to, to tighten around, tighten up these transactions so that, you know, this greenwashing risk can, can be mitigated to its greatest extent possible so the market can continue to prosper. And I would also um, add on to that, Greg, we spoke about uh, earlier regarding the proliferation of, of funding to, to, to fund um, social projects and the movement away from just green bonds. That is another trend we've been seeing overall in the sustainable finance market is, is an increase in, in the number of types of, of, of financing products that are available uh, to, to companies and entities in the sustainable finance world. And I think as we develop those products and make sustainable finance um, accessible to more types of companies and more types of entities and moving away from really the pure, pure 
uh, green issuers or really the pure social issuers, but really being able to, to reward companies or entities that might not fall into either of those, but are really making great strides um, to make themselves more sustainable. Um, I think what we'll see and, and what we're already hearing from the investor space is they want an increased um, sense of accountability and increased transparency. Um, so in order to, to provide for more innovative products, to allow for more different types of companies and different types of projects to be funded, they're comfortable with that as long as they're getting um, enough information to make to make their investment decision and make sure that what they're investing in and, and what they're financing is really value added and 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 saying it's going to be funded and and will fund projects that are supportive of the initial goals. Turning to Canada, how as Canada continues to uh, grow in the sustainable finance market, how will uh, transition finance play a role domestically? Yeah, I think Canada, it'll be interesting because the way that, that Canada's economy is structured being a really resource dependent economy means we have a different profile of, of types of issuers versus Europe, for example, which has really been a on the forefront of sustainability and, and of ESG, but we have to think about how we can support um, the companies that, that we have within Canada. Um, transition finance, I think, is one of those ways. Um, it's, it's a newer type of, of product in the market. Um, it's been used in, in certain bespoke circumstances, but I think is, is one that is really primed to, to develop. Um, so transition finance is really focused on those issuers that are working on a lot of projects and making great strides in reducing their 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 footprint uh, from an emissions perspective, um, and instead of and, and and therefore not issuers that are entirely eliminating them, so not focus on on the green economy. Um, but I think there's there's a lot we can do. Um, there's a great environmental benefit to focusing on companies that become can become better and more efficient at doing what they're already doing. Um, and because Canada has a big resource economy with, with the energy industry, I think there's going to be a lot of appetite for this kind of, of financing. Um, so I think it just takes an, an issuer and, and some investors that are, are willing to be the first to, to kind of test this out in the Canadian market, but that's definitely something uh, we're, we're focused on um, and seeing, seeing where that market can go. That was Fanny Doucette and Jason Taylor, both of Scotiabank's Sustainable Finance Group. You can find more thought-leading content from Scotiabank on our website at gbm.scotiabank.com, and you can also follow us on Twitter at ScotiabankGBM, as well as our LinkedIn showcase page under Scotiabank Global Banking and Markets. Please refer to our legal disclosures on our website. Thanks for listening.